You're listening to Being Built. I'm Aaron Davis, the founder of Reckless Tech. We're an executive search and tech staffing firm. I'm here with Nate Denlinger, and you're the VP of software development or software, software engineering. engineering. Yeah. Nice. Okay, cool. We were talking about some other connections that we share, you know, a couple of people that I know, and I didn't even, I didn't realize how, how familiar we were, but we got <laughs> friends in common. That's cool. Yeah. So, and actually, I think I even interviewed while you were CEO that, that's at right. Smart Data. That's so. right. That's exactly right. Um, yeah. That's right. We had a whole nother connection there. A couple of years. So yeah, I think that's how I became, uh, I was most familiar with your name and your background yeah. and stuff. That's cool. So um, now you're you're doing you're running software development for RoboIQ, uh-huh. which is that product was really interesting, and I I first heard about it when you did another podcast, yep. an interview with Alec. You're correct, is that yep. right? At so Data Yard, yep. a little shout out to Alec yep. Data Yard. But uh, they did a cool interview, and and when you guys uh, had that talk, obviously you guys went deep into the cloud stuff. Right. I'm not an expert, so I'm not going <laughs> to pretend to try to copy that conversation. No but worries. I am curious about the about the product and about the business that you're okay. in, kind of your team and what you guys are building there. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so um, we are now known as RoveIQ. We originally started off as a company called SmartLink. Um, we rebranded about a year ago. Um, but the company was kind of built on the idea of um, building uh, smart interactive kiosks for you know malls and municipalities. And basically, I mean, you just think of a, a massive, you know, almost iPad type application um, that does everything from, you know, selfies to wayfinding inside um, for malls and areas like that. Um, And these are big, you know, normally two sided, you know, 55 up to 75 inch screen TVs that are touch screen. Um, And uh, yeah, there's all, there's all different things, but the main thing is basically our idea is to replace, you know, the static, uh, directories that you would see at a mall. So yeah. instead of walking up and looking for, you know, if you're trying to find Macy's and you have to look on the directory and it says, okay, it's number 23. And then you look and then you yeah. try, and then you got to try to figure out where you are and then, okay, what's the best route. Whereas with our software, it's you walk up and you can do a search for Macy's and it shows you where it is. And then it even gives you uh, an actual routing line to actually walk there and shows you how to get there. If it's nice. on a different floor, it'll take you to the elevator first or the escalator and all that type of stuff. So, so. it's, it's a maps system inside a huge uh, building or facility. Correct. Um, and, and so we originally targeted more municipalities. We thought that was going to be a big thing. You know, working, we actually originally worked with um, like city of Cincinnati and we almost got them put around like the, the streetcar, but uh, it became pretty apparent. There's a lot of other uh, markets there or competitors there. And also there is um, a lot of other products that compete with that. Okay. So, for example, if you go downtown Cincinnati and you park at a parking garage and then you want to go to the, the Red Stadium, you know, what do you do? You pull out your phone and you open up Google Maps and it'll take you there. Sure. However, if you go to a mall and you're on the first floor and you just walked in and you want to go to Build-A-Bear with your kid on the third yep. floor, you can't pull out your phone and it's not going to give you directions to go to the right. escalator right. up here, go down this hall, go up the next escalator and then Build-A-Bear's there. So we kind of transition from focusing more on municipalities to, you know, what we would consider mixed use properties that have normally a, a, you know, retail plus offices sometimes and, you know, apartments and stuff like that. 
and so we were talking about the green over here in our neighborhood. Yeah, so th there's some places like, so we work uh, with Liberty uh, Center down in uh, Westchester, and we nice. work, uh, our very first customer was Newport on the Levee. Okay, um, oh, that seems like a fitting customer. Yeah, yeah. so the, the company started down in uh, the northern Kentucky area. The uh, the, the, the owner was in, out of uh, Newport area. So, yeah. Um, yeah, they were our kind of our very first customer um, yeah, that we worked cool. with. I'm thinking about how many customers are out there, right? Like. Hand, a couple of malls are just just not popular to go to anymore. But yeah. then you have a lot of these like budding um, places where they have the the apartments in them and the restaurants in them and all that kind of stuff mixed in together. That's Correct. the new version of the mall, I yeah. guess. It's like a thing to do, not just a bunch of shops. Well, I think the one of the driving factors is for it is is people like these ideas of what they call micro communities now, yeah, that's um, cool. where you kind of have like a built in customer base. So if people live there and work there or and or work there um they're much more likely to go to a restaurant there or mm -hmm. buy clothing from there mm -hmm. um so you kind of have like a built-in customer base so like you said like malls are kind of dying and mm -hmm. so we don't see a whole lot of malls where it's just purely a mall mm -hmm. um and then also a lot of them are trying to be more indoor outdoor and um, one of the things like we specialize in is building our, our kiosks are all weather proof completely. So okay. they um, are can go indoor or outdoor. You don't have to worry about there being a hurricane or there being a snowstorm or anything like that. They can, you know, live through all that. So what's the state of the business? Like how mature is it and how long how long has it been around? And so the company's time? been around for about five, six years now. Um, when the company was first started, uh, it was kind of an interesting shift. So originally the company focused more on the actual hardware side of the, the kiosk. And we were actually building our, our own kiosk um, down at a plant down near uh, in Evendale near, near GE. Okay. Um, and we spent a lot of time and effort and we pretty quickly realized that while we had software engineers and we had those type of people, we did not have mechanical and electrical engineers. Yeah. And if you're going to build a smart kiosk that has to be able to survive hurricanes and, the, and all this and heat, heat's obviously one of the biggest factors when it comes to electronics. Oh, interesting. We just, we're not well suited. Yeah, for you weren't that. the experts of the experts yeah. to be. To be and, and originally, like I said, the company actually was using third party software to put on their hardware. And uh, pretty quickly, they, they started to realize hey, we don't want to be in the hardware industry. We want to be in the software industry. Okay. Um, hardware isn't great because, A, normally it's a one-time sale, you know, True. and maybe, a, maybe a, you know, a maintenance contract, but there's no recurring income, so it's hard to build that business. Um, whereas with software, you know, we do ours basically kind of a so software as a service type platform where, okay. you know, there's a monthly fee um, and it's based off of the number of screens and all that. So there's there's that monthly recurring income that, that builds up as you build your business. Okay. Um, so the company kind of in those first two years transitioned from a hardware company to a software company. Mm. Um, and so my buddy who got hired on this CTO, when they started to make that transition and realized they wanted to make that transition, I have a background in, in building software and, and I've always kind of specialized in greenfield building new products. Mm -hmm. And so he asked me if I wanted to come on and lead that effort. So nice. And so you've been there now, how long? Uh, just over five years. Okay. So you've been with them for a little bit. Yeah. So we've gone through multiple versions of our product. We've added more and more features as we've gone and we've built in tons of more features that, you know, make it easier to use and, so one of the things that our software does that a lot of the other competitors doesn't is a lot of the other ones are almost like um, 
think of like a Figma or something like that, where mm -hmm. you basically have to like design what goes on the kiosk and then okay. you can push it out. Whereas ours, we wanted to build it more like a WordPress where it's mm -hmm. almost like a CMS and we have built in templates and stuff that they can pick from and they can customize. Mm -hmm. um, but they don't have to worry about the design. They don't okay. have to be the subject matter experts on how should we develop right. a, a kiosk software. A storefront's a storefront. Exactly. You know, just kind of create um, templates for that. So right? basically our web portal is a, a CMS type style application where they can get in, they can push all their, put all their location data in there. They can configure all their kiosks and then literally our, all the kiosks check in once every minute. Um, and they pull down any new settings that they need. So if they go in and they need to change the phone number on a store, they can update that sure. and it gets pushed out to all the Tenant kiosks. Moves out, them. moves in, that kind of it's thing. Almost, it's almost, you know, instantaneous. It's within a yeah. minute. So, um, so yeah, we wanted to focus more on ease of use versus um, allowing people to have like all this, you know, freedom. But a lot of times companies don't know like they don't know what they don't know. Right. So if you just give a software to somebody and say, Hey, you can build your own interface for a kiosk. They have no idea what to build. Well, the absolute most freedom you can give a customer is to do nothing for them. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you're right. I mean, the freedom is, is, is mixed with the burden to, exactly. to figure it out. And right? there are so. software out there that do that, but that's not the market we're trying to hit. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you had already had a team of developers and you already had a team of designers and all that, then yeah, those work great. But most of our customers are mixed use companies where they might have a marketing department. Yeah. They might have a graphic designer on staff, but they definitely normally don't have developers on staff sure. and anything like that. So if you just give them a blank slate and say, here, go build whatever you want, right. it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. They're real estate managers. Exactly. Right? I yep. mean, that's their yeah. business is they're exactly. managing real estate and, and such. So yep. that's cool. So how far is your customer base at this point? All U.S. based? Is it all regional or what? Yeah, that? so we, uh, we, we've basically so far stayed inside the United States. Uh -huh. uh, we have everywhere from California to Florida to okay. New York, you know. Uh, we're basically everywhere. Um, we, we tend to be more in the warmer climates just simply because oh, there's a higher number of like the indoor-outdoor facilities. Okay. Just because um, that that kind of target uh, exactly. spot that, that that likes your product, yeah, is more. So if you're if you're talking like pricing wise, like a kiosk that you're going to put in an indoor area is like a quarter of the price of one that's indoor. Just because it's temperature controlled, it, temper controlled, and it doesn't have to be NEMA. It doesn't uh, have to be able to survive a hurricane. It doesn't have to be able to survive rain. There's no water. I mean, water and heat are your two biggest yeah. issues when you're talking about a big electronic device like right. that selling a product on a little beach you know, yeah. shopping center in Hollywood, Florida is way better than uh, right. an indoor mall in Dayton. So we Ohio, have, right? we have a bunch of customers down in Florida and the Miami area, a bunch of in out in California and, uh, and, and we're kind of spreading out where we're trying to hit some other markets, you know, like, uh, healthcare facilities and, and, uh, universities, you know, mm. you, you go walk onto a big university, Ohio state or something. I mean, that's a huge place. Like, yeah. If you're there and you're just wanting to try to figure out like how to get to a building, like good luck. True. Um, yeah. True. So we've been, we've been reaching out to a lot of universities and trying to get, um, in with those. Um, we've also started hitting more and more, um, arenas, sports mm. arenas. Okay. Um, so we have some, we're working, I'm not sure who I'm allowed to talk about, but uh, we do have some arenas like up in New York City and we have one uh, out in California, uh, okay. baseball stadiums and stuff like that. And okay. so 
yeah, it's it's been cool to get to get to do work with those companies too. So, what in the baseball stadium and the football stadium, whatever you would see where the vendors are, where the mm-hmm. box seats are, just to kind of a, you'd be able to kind of navigate what yes. resources are available inside the stadium. Yeah. So imagine like you walk into a baseball stadium, for example, the Red Stadium, mm-hmm. and you want to first of all find your seat. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, sometimes that's not easy. So yeah, it's its you own know, challenge. You can put in your set, you can look up the section and it'll tell you exactly go to this escalator, go up, you know, this many spots and then, you know, you'll go this way and mm-hmm. it'll take you right to your, your section. Okay. Um, or let's say you want to, you know, go, you're at the Red Stadium and you want to find a specific restaurant, mm-hmm. you know, a specific vendor. Once again, that, that can be hard to do, you know, because you're yeah. walking all the way around. You don't know which floor it's on. So you can pick out which restaurant you're trying to find. It'll take you right there. But there's also some weird, really weird caveats when you get into stadiums. Like, for example, one of the stadiums we're working with, the escalators go up before the game. And then at the end of the I game, see. they go down. Okay. And so <laughs> you, you got some really, coding, huh? yeah, exactly. You have After some really, PM, you, know, you have to have the whole game schedule and yeah. everything. Huh? So that's been stuff that like, as we've moved into that market, it was stuff we never even had to think about when we were doing mixed trip. use. Yeah. They changed the direction. Um, and also that. like with a stadium, like one of the stadiums, most of their vendors are mobile. So Whereas when you're doing a mall, you know, every oh, building, like it's brick and mortar, they don't move, but mm-hmm. they're like, oh, well, we need to be able to have the restaurant here. And then next week we are going to move it over here. I see. And so how are you going to route that? How are they going to update that? You know, there's wow. a lot that goes into that. So there's some weird caveats that go Sounds with like stadiums. Sounds like a fun challenge though. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it is. Stadiums sound fun, uh, but but a lot, of var- a lot of extra variables there. We obviously have our kiosk, but then we also have like a a mobile side to our product also where um, let's say you're at the mall and you get instructions and it gives you, shows you how to walk to something that's pretty far away. Okay. Well, as soon as you walk away from that kiosk, you have to then memorize it, but okay. we have an option where you can scan a QR code and it opens it up and it actually uses your phone to navigate you there. Oh, and wow. we do it all browser based. Um, we one one of the things that originally people were asking for was mobile apps. Okay. And I was a big proponent of, Avoiding mobile apps at all costs. Because Nobody wants to download an app. Exactly. At the mall. Yeah. You don't want to. You don't want to go to a new mall and have to download an app just for that mall, just and then go to another mall. Or exactly. Yeah. And same with like a stadium or anything else. Um, so we didn't want to. So all of our stuff is browser based, and nice. you don't have to download anything. But uh, basically, it'll actually navigate you to the correct store. Um, but one caveat with that, the, the weird part is, is when you're doing obviously geolocation, when you're talking about a kiosk, you have fixed positions. Okay. You're starting from a fixed okay, lab and longitude exact. Um, and so it can figure out the route to get you there. But then when you start talking about, um, a moving target, a person walking with a phone, sure. you obviously have to have location. So, um, normally in an outdoor facility, GPS works great, but then there's some weird caveats. Yeah, malls and, and hospitals, not so great. Exactly. You lose mm-hmm. all GPS. So, um, so there's some things that we have to do and, and new technology we've been trying to work with, um, especially for as we've moved into the healthcare industry and in some other places where GPS just isn't an option. Right. Um, and so there's, there is options like, you know, Bluetooth beaconing and Wi-Fi beaconing and stuff like that. Oh, but, that's interesting. Um, so how far along is your mobile product? Is that, uh, is that in the market now? Yeah. So we obviously, uh, one of the big motivators to get that done and fully ready and working was, um, was COVID. Um, so obviously during COVID people did, didn't want to walk up and touch a screen first of all, because they had no idea when it was last cleaned. Um, and so 
there was a lot more push for us to have our mobile product available. So they could, instead of making the screen interactive, they could just put a QR code up on the screen all the time. People could scan it and then they could have the exact same experience basically that they had on the kiosk on their phone. Okay. Um, so we really pushed hard and got that out for our normal um, kiosk stuff um, during uh, COVID. Which sounds great until that Cinnabon pulls somebody off their route. Yeah. And then you need that geolocation, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but we're actually, we've been another vertical we've been kind of pushing into more and more is uh, healthcare. Okay. Um, and once again, there's some obstacles there when we originally took the idea of, hey, let's put these kiosks at a hospital. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of issues there with PII and uh, HIPAA and compliance. And, you know, you don't want to be able to like just walk in a hospital, put a last name in and find the room. That's like, True. oh, yeah, there is this patient I here okay. and it's going to take you there. But they still needed that navigation piece because a lot of hospitals are pretty complex and hard to navigate they for are. people. Yep. I mean, it's very rare that you can walk in a hospital without having to stop and ask somebody, how do I get somewhere? Sure. Um, so what we've done is we've worked on a, a product that's mobile only. It's not dependent on the kiosk specifically for healthcare, um, And it encompasses the entire trip. So what happens is. Uh, the hospital actually sends out a link with like an appointment reminder. They can pull it up. And once again, it's fully browser based. We don't have to install apps and we don't have to do anything with that. It not only navigates them there via car, like just like a Google map experience where okay. it gives them turn by turn directions. But then once they get in a geofenced area of the hospital, it shows them where to park. Hmm. It then gives them walking directions into the hospital to the right lobby and then once they're inside and we lose GPS, one of the things we've been doing for healthcare is we actually do um, similar to uh, Google Street View, where once you get in, you get a, a um, 3D picture sphere. Okay. And it kind of shows you and you can push forward and you can move along through I the see. steps and it'll take you to the right elevator. It'll take you to the right floor. It'll take you to the right lobby and check in here, then go down this hall and check in here. You know, okay. there might be two or three steps depending on where you're going. That's pretty um, swift. So that's, that's been the, the big product we've been working on um, and doing a pilot for about the last year with a, a Cincinnati okay. hospital. Nice. Okay. So, so you've got some buy-in and some good customer feedback. Yeah. And, and, and so it's been working really well for the last year. And so now we're actually making that an actual full-blown product. Mm -hmm. um, whereas the original was a pilot. So it was a lot of stuff was built specifically for them. And it was built for you know development speed and stuff like that. Now we're turning it into more of a, a software as a service where somebody can sign up and right. be up marketable. and running in you know pretty quickly. So. You talked about uh, kind of speed of their speed of development and that kind of thing. So tell me a little bit about your team. Yeah, so uh, our team's pretty small. The company's pretty small and agile. Um, our CTO uh, he kind of obviously has a lot of responsibilities outside of development but he can also code. Um, so he's, I would say he's probably about 50% code and 50% project management and customer, nice. you know, relations okay. and stuff like that. I'm the, the VP. And then, uh, we have two other developers, uh, underneath me. Okay. Um, and one of them we've had for about a year. The other one we've had for about two or three years. Nice. Um, so, uh, we're, we're small and agile and yeah. there's obviously there's a lot that goes in with that because, especially with all these different verticals and trying to build different products. There's a, you're trying to get every salesperson wants to pull you in a different direction. Mm. Obviously, you know, every salesperson thinks what they're selling is the most important. I see. Uh, so there's, there's a lot that goes into prioritization and, you know, like figuring out, you know, what 
is the best thing to work on at the current phase, you know, what's going to help the company both in the short term and the long term. Um, and just helping everybody in the company understand like the, the cost benefit of analysis of everything. And that there's always a cost, you know, if we, we stop working on something else to help sign one single customer, that might not be the best idea because. Right. Are those solutions you can sell again? Exactly. Right. You know, and so there's a lot that goes into that. Uh, that's in every company I've ever worked for. That's obviously one of the hardest parts in tech. Um, every person I've ever talked to, you know, the hardest part is prioritization and, and, and figuring out what everybody's supposed to be working on and, and getting buy-in from everybody mm -hmm. and making sure that everybody's on the same page. Um, because, you know, when you, when you start trying to multitask, especially as a co small company, it never, it doesn't very rarely works well. Um, sure. One of the things we have to remind non-developers of often is there's a, a famous thing I don't, uh, that I've heard a long time ago is that, if you need something done, if you need a baby born in a month, you can't hire nine women and, and <laughs> right. get each of them, you know, have one month have worth of work. You know, it's, That's right. it doesn't work that way. You know, scaling horizontally doesn't always end up with a, a quicker outcome. Yeah. Um, so, so that's one thing we kind of always have to push. And we actually have like a dev priorities meeting where everybody who has things that needs done has to come to the meeting. And then obviously everybody talks about it and, uh, figures out what's, you know, the the best thing that we should be working on at any given point. So you answered a question that was on my mind, which is how you go about prioritization. When you've got multiple customers and you're, you, yeah. you mentioned the salespeople delivering those messages, which is good that they're hearing that customers say what they want and hearing the customers say what they don't like or what they would like and that kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. You need that input. How do you adjust the volume appropriately on those voices and know, like one thing is knowing you can reuse that feature but how do you know if, how do you, how do you learn that? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is you, you ultimately need one person who's going to be responsible or be the final say, because mm -hmm. if you have too many cooks in the kitchen, they're all never going to back down. Everybody thinks their priority is the highest priority. Uh, so ultimately it comes down to you need one person that's ultimately going to be responsible for saying, this is the route we're taking. I've heard everybody. Mm -hmm. I've heard the benefits. I've heard the costs. I've heard, you know, how much money this will bring us immediately or down the road. And mm. this is where we're going. And because I've heard of other companies that, you know, they have 20 people show up to their priorities meeting, but then there's no person at the end to say, okay, I've heard all the priorities. This is what we're working on. And so the developers are stuck in this weird spot of, they're, who's, they're trying to pick who's who, most authority. Exactly. Well, like who's, who, who do I want to please and who do I want to, mm -hmm. you know, burn? And you get this weird, uh, there's also this weird thing where people try to bypass the system. Sure. And so you have, I, I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to admit that. I, I they reach I'm out. sorry guys. I've done that. And, and that's one thing you, I, as I'm thinking of like three people right now. <laughs> that I've done that too. Oh man, my bad. Hey, now, could you just work on this? And this exactly. Know? And that's one thing I always have to train uh, new developers on is I guarantee within the first few weeks of you working as a new developer at a place, somebody's going to reach out to you directly and they're going to try to bypass systems. That's right. Pet project. You. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, could you just help me out with this? It'll, it'll probably only take you a few hours, you know, and it's like, you know, we, we know we have to prioritize everything. If I'm not working on what mm -hmm. I was working on, like if I work on your stuff, something else is suffering. That's right. Um, and that's not 
it shouldn't be especially a junior developer's job to ever try to figure out what the priority of a, a company, you know, multi-million dollar company is like that. That's right. A, they're, that's not their specialty and B, they don't have a clue. Well, you have all what, these more senior people, you know, parachuting into the junior guy's desk, telling them code, this, oh, yeah. code that I've seen that happen. I haven't done that, but I've seen that happen. <laughs> And it is really disruptive. It is. Meanwhile, all of your critical paths are interrupted because your forecasts were wrong and your, you know, your story it, points estimates or whatever you're using to, to, you know, allocate attention or whatever is, is all off. Right. right. Yeah. And it's a tough spot to put a junior developer in, especially because it's a they, win. well, yeah, it's a, they, they don't, they don't know who they're allowed to say no to yet. They don't, you know, they're trying to make a good impression. They're trying to, oh, well, I can be that person that, you know, you know, oh, that, that does this for them, and, and sure. I'm going to get on their good side and stuff like that. So it's it's a tough spot to put. Yeah, people knew probably not so bad in a you know on a smaller team, a micro team where you count the but still happens. It still happens. Yeah. Oh yeah, every yeah, time we hire somebody new. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah, we we let them know. Hey, you're going to hear from you know somebody else in the company, whether it's a salesperson or a customer support person or somebody else. You, you're going to get contacted directly. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I don't, uh, I mean, I don't necessarily blame those people because um, they're, they're obviously trying to get their job done too. Of course. But um, it's good to have those systems in place just to kind of protect them and let them know, Hey, you don't have to, you don't have to do that. So that's a really good point. I worked in, uh, ran a the services shop you mentioned, and mm-hmm. we, we always had a challenge with prioritization of stuff and, um, uh, figuring out what was in scope versus out of scope. A customer would say, oh, hey, can we just add this, this, and this? Like, okay, that's, you know, of course we can, but that's outside of the agreement we made or whatever. Right. So we'll have to, you know, we weren't doing fixed scope stuff, but it, it was still like you run into all these little gray areas around mm-hmm. stuff. And, and what it came down to is just the ability to say, we have a process, you know, for grooming stories or for prioritizing tasks or whatever you call it, whatever whatever framework you use or whatever to make decisions and prioritize and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, making sure that everybody knows that that it exists and it exists for a reason. Mm-hmm. And, and and there's an authority structure in place there that's not clear. And this kind of like rogue IT, you know, back <laughs> office or back, back alley uh, conversation we're having. So yeah. I think authorizing junior people with that knowledge early on is, is helpful. You know, knowing yeah. that if, if it doesn't come through this process, if it's not groomed this way, if it's not authorized on this by this project team or whatever, then this is not sanctioned work. This is your free time. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think another part of it is, is the idea of, um, well, I have, I was talking about authorizing, having junior devs know that the certain right. process of authority is, is your authority and anything they ask you to do other than that, they're asking you to do it on your free time. Right. right? Yeah giving them an understanding of what the authority structure is and pointing to that process as a clarity about that, that, mm-hmm. you know, everybody from the, t- I think it, I think you really do need to hear that from the top though. Yeah, you do. And you need to make sure they understand, like, you're not going to get in trouble for telling somebody, no, I'm not going to work on this or tell them, Hey, you need to follow the process. Right. And, or Hey, you're asking me to spend my weekend doing that. Right. Yeah. Is that what or, you're asking me? Cause I I've committed to doing this 40 hours a week. Yeah, exactly. Are you asking me to spend my weekend doing that? Yeah. So, <laughs> so, or, or who's, who are you saying their job or their priorities is less important? Right. Like, are you going to go tell that person that their That's priority right. is less important? I've committed to these things. Which one should I postpone? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So it, it is tough. Um, but I mean, that's, like I said, it doesn't matter whether you're at a company of 10 people or 
10,000 people yeah. that happens. Um, sure does. Every, every developer I've ever talked to, that's an issue they just have to deal with. And, um, the quicker you can kind of figure that out, the better the company kind of run, the, the development process will run smoother. Um, when you're not pulled in 20 different directions and having to manage these different relationships with all these different people. I wonder so, if we'd learned some of that. I've worked in really big organizations and micro organizations, right? So obviously there are more places to hide and you act in a big organization. Sometimes you get stuck doing some low impact stuff. It's kind of filler work or whatever. And there's just a lot less like clarity about exactly what, you know, right. the, you know, the, the top, person is thinking and prioritizing and for what purpose that it, it gets harder, the bigger an organization gets. So I think there are times when like smart, capable people get kind of stuck in this. Like I'm working on something that's kind of boring, low impact. It's not that it doesn't really take that much of my time. I do mm-hmm. have downtime. And so they become uh, more receptive to the side project that's high impact for somebody. Right. Yeah. And I think that can be a bad training ground sometimes right. if you and, and one of the other things that kind of over also gets overlooked especially for people who are newer to the company whether they're senior or junior is like they don't necessarily know all the dependencies mm, so right. if they were to make a small change what they think is a small change yeah they don't know what how that affects every other person they don't necessarily know all the business decisions that were made over the last five years mm. that made it the way it is yeah, You know, where they might think, oh, well, that was just an oversight. They obviously meant to do it this way. Hmm. Um, no, that was done for a very specific purpose. Yeah. And we had made this decision three years ago. We actually used to have it that way. And we took that out or we removed that or we changed that for hmm. a specific reason. So it, one other thing that we we try to also train people is is like you don't ever really need to say, no, that's not an option. It's hmm. okay. Like when you get to the prioritizations phase, it's never a no, we're never going to do this or we can't do this. It's a, okay, here's, here's how long it'll take. Here's the dependencies, you know, Mm -hmm. and here's, you know, like, like all the, give them the, give the business leaders the, the, the tools to make the decision. Mm. Um, And so if you say, oh, this will take two weeks, they'd be like, okay, that's, that's worth it. Like, Mm -hmm. let's spend two weeks on this. Whereas you say this, this is going to take eight months. Mm-hmm. You don't have to sit there and try to sell them on the idea that this is a bad idea. You can help them realize, oh, okay, because they don't necessarily understand all the technical requirements. You could mm-hmm. list off, well, if we're going to do this, we need to, you know, do list one, two, three, four, five, six things. You know, they might not understand. That might be to them. That might be two weeks. That might be two months. That mm-hmm. might be two years. So it's it's better to help them understand like what the non-technical side, like, okay, this is going to take our team eight, eight months to work on. Mm. And that means we're not going to be doing anything else for eight months. And if we have to stop and and work on something else, obviously that extends that. Mm. So instead of giving, like, I think that's one area where I think some technology people struggle is they, they, they're sitting there trying to explain the technical side to non-technical people Mm -hmm. when instead they should be explaining, this is going to take us three months. And yeah. this is going to cost us this amount of money. Mm-hmm. And this is going to, you know, we're going to have to hire two new developers in order to do this. Yeah. Or this is going to, there might be, we might have a lot. Every time now we want to make a change on something on this feature, it's going to take us twice as long because now we added this feature just for this one customer. Mm. Um, 
So those are the things I think are way more important to let the business leaders know versus trying to get them to understand the technical side of things. Yeah, it drove my thought a lot to the the idea that we have about estimating. Uh, <laughs> and you laugh immediately because you know as well as I do that it's just a, it's kind of a fool's errand sometimes. Yeah. We're, we're shooting in the dark a little bit and uh, not a little bit, we're shooting in the dark a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Always. <laughs> but nevertheless, we do know the difference between something that takes two weeks and something that takes two years. Do we know the difference between something that takes two days and something that takes two months? Probably, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's really about degrees of precision is what it is. Well, so what we do is is we try to, to lower the margin of error. Um, so we don't necessarily do like pure agile where we have, you know, exact. Sometimes we, we it depends on the mode of the company. Sometimes we're in more of a, you know, we're building a bunch of stuff as quick as we can versus sometimes it's, you know, we're kind of more in a, a stable, you know, building process. Just depends on what customers are signing on, what new products we're trying to add, what new features. Okay. Um, but one of the things that we as a development team do um, that our CTO has kind of pushed is when we do estimation, um, anything that gets broken down and it's more than 13 hours or 13 points um, has to be broken down into smaller tickets. Mm. Um, because if you're estimating something at, two months mm -hmm. and your margin of error is a hundred percent. Right. Then you're off by two months. Right. Whereas if you have a ticket that's two hours and your margin of error is a hundred percent, you're mm -hmm. off by two hours. Mm -hmm. I'd much rather be off by two hours than two months. Sure. Um, so we try to minimize that, that margin of error based off just purely the size of the thing we're estimating. Um, so we don't ever just like get a big project and say, Hey, this is roughly going to take six months. We actually, We'll take the time to break those task entire down. tasks down into things smaller than 20 hours. Mm. Um, and, you know, we, we use a normal, you know, planning poker style, yeah. one hour, two hour, three hour, five hours. It uses the, uh, the Fibonacci, Fibonacci sequence. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, you can go all the way up to 13. And, and if we all say, hey, it's going to take over 13. OK, we got to break that ticket up into multiple tickets. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that that seems to help a lot. Um, simply because you're not trying when you're thinking about a large project, there's just so many things you have to try to keep in your mind. But if you're thinking about a task, that's going to take you two days or less. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot easier to kind of think of all the, the things, the factors that might play into that. How well do you think you account for the margin of error as you're communicating that estimates? Like, can you so I think that's something also that goes down to training junior developers. Mm -hmm. Um, a, once again, junior developers are always, in my mind, trying to impress. Mm -hmm. um, so you'll throw out a ticket and they'll, you know, oh, that's going to take me two hours. <laughs> and all the senior people who have been doing this for a long time. Are, laughing on the inside. Like, yeah, like, cool, go okay, for it. Okay, we'll see you by, you have that ticket done by the end. We always joke around. Okay, we'll see you by the end of the day. Go ahead and turn that ticket in. And it's like, no, that's that's at least 10 hours. Like, right. you know, we, we, we know we have the experience. So we kind of, that's our joke. We're, okay, we'll have that done by the end of the day. If you right, think so it's you're not leaving two hours. Done? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I say, you, you and I talked before we turned on the camera that we're both kind of home improvement do yeah. DIYers, right? So I do the same thing when exactly. I'm like, when I'm talking to my wife about how long, how much work it's going to take to replace that countertop or something. Uh -huh. Or I can put that floor in. Yeah, that'll just be a Saturday afternoon, no problem. Yeah, that probably Three Saturdays later, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> yep. yeah, that... in your head, you've really, you've re you've gone through all the steps, and it was pretty simple to think through all the things that need to be done until you accidentally nick that 
that plumbing line or you yep. whatever. And the same thing happens with code. You, know, Absolutely. you can't account for the things you just don't know in yeah, advance. You right? don't know what you don't know. And until you start, you know, digging into something like you just don't know what's there. It's a hundred times more true with code than it is for putting a floor into a yeah. bathroom because that bathrooms, there three floors have been put in just that specific bathroom, right? Let alone right. like, you know, the hundreds or thousands or whatever of other bathrooms that have laid that kind of floor, right? There's, so all kinds of precedent and points of reference for a task that I have a hard time estimating, even though I've done it a hundred right. times before. So you write code, you're almost certainly building something that hasn't been built exactly that way for exactly that purpose. Well, and it's, it's so. one of those weird things that the longer you build a product, I think the worse your estimation gets because hmm. when you're first starting, you know, you have all the knowledge, like, especially if it's a small team and developers, you know, two developers, they basically have their hands on every piece of the code. Hmm. And they know the entire dependency tree. They know Interesting. They know all the things that if I change this, it affects this downstream. But if you've been working on a product for four or five years, even if you're a solo developer, I'm sorry, but it's you're gone. not going to remember yeah. every single thing that that touches. On, and then as you add more developers, you know, you may never even seen that code right. because somebody else wrote it and somebody else did the, 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 the code review. So you've literally never even seen it. So you're kind of walking into it blind. So the longer you go, I think the worse your estimation gets because you don't have as much domain knowledge and you don't know that entire dependency tree of the code. I heard somebody say the other day, all useful code. All, all code in production is read more than it's written. There's Absolutely. more time spent reading it than there's, there's time well, there's spent another, writing it, right? Yeah, there's another thing that when like you do a code commit, um, whether you're using GitHub, GitLab, Bitbucket, any of those, it'll normally show you how many lines of code you're adding, mm -hmm. but it also shows you how many lines of code you're removing. Mm. And one of the good signs of a really good developer is they were normally remove more code than they add. Mm. They're making things more simple. It's not, you know, I've, I've worked with companies where they try to put KPIs on developers and they're trying to figure out, well, how can you do a KPI on a developer? It's like, well, how about just like lines, lines of, of code? code? It's like, no, I mean, you're, you're, <laughs> you're trying to get somebody to be more verbose. It would be like, you know, that, right. that's a horrible precedent. It's like measuring number of words used exactly. to, to determine like, how well somebody communicated. Would something. you rather get emails that are uh, one paragraph or would you rather get emails that are two two pages long? I'm a big yeah, fan um, of the two you, word email. Exactly. <laughs> and code's the same way. You would much rather open up a code piece of code that you can quickly scan and understand in five minutes versus it's going to take you five days just to, Try to yeah. even guess what's going on. So, so good code is always shorter and 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 more succinct and and just much more easy to read. You don't Absolutely. want to look at the financial model. I put <laughs> My Excel cells are way too long. <laughs> My if then uh, strains are. <laughs> hey, you can write Python in in uh, Excel now. They just added that feature. Yeah, so. maybe I'll get to that one day. <laughs> So, okay. So Robike, you've been there for five years. Uh -huh. um, you have small team. Mm -hmm. What's, what's next for Robike? Like you guys are working on this mobile thing yep. and then, and then getting into the hospital space as another big thing. Yeah. The healthcare is, I, I would say is our biggest push right now, as far as trying to reach like a new market vertical okay. and kind of a new product. Um, we actually kind of are marketing it even as a standalone product. So instead of uh, our, our normal product is called Rove IQ. Um, this is called Rove DR. So kind of has play on words as far as DR for doctor and for driving. Um, That's cute. So so we're kind of building that kind of as a standalone product. Um, it doesn't. We're 
doing a couple other things as far as like even technology wise, we're building it on um, GCP, Google Cloud Provider instead okay. of AWS. Oh, interesting. Because um, Google Cloud Provider is a lot better, even though right now our product doesn't really touch any PII or HIPAA data at all. Uh, we can definitely foresee in the future possibly integrating with people's, you know, Epic systems or my charts sure. and stuff like that, where you would definitely have to worry about HIPAA and, and all that stuff. And Google Cloud Provider um, definitely has a lot better um, protection for the company when it comes to HIPAA compliance and stuff like okay. that. Okay, interesting. Versus like AWS. AWS has what's called AWS um, GovCloud, mm -hmm. um, which they built specifically like for government like contractors and stuff. Mm -hmm. But even then, like for based off of all of our research, they're still not gr as good as Google when it comes to actually signing papers and saying, yes, we're HIPAA compliant mm -hmm. or all this, you know. Um, so we've actually decided to kind of build that completely separate in a completely different environment. Mm. So with regard to your Rove DR mm -hmm. uh, product, you said you're partnered with the hospital yeah. to kind of build a pilot out and, and you're um, getting that trans or kind of in the phase where you're making that product more of a broadly marketable product. Right. And so what's the next phase for you? Where are you going from there? Yeah. So like I said, right now we're kind of in the transition period of, of, taking it something that was basically, I mean, think of like when you were in the days of smart data, mm -hmm. you know, you're building a product for a single person. Mm -hmm. um, everything's kind of hard coded. The destination point, for example, like, hey, you're getting a text. Well, every single person is going to the same hospital. Every single person is parking in the same parking lot. Everybody's going to the same lobby. Mm -hmm. um, whereas now it's, uh, and that was all configured by us, obviously also, where now it's, hey, we're building a product you can, this hospital can buy it. They need to be able to have, just like we have for our Rove IQ product, they need to have a web portal where they can log in, they can add destination points. Mm. Um, they can add the pictures for the photospheres. They can set up the geofences for the parking areas. They can set all the different, like, uh, you know, same day surgery or, or radiology, like all these destination points that people are going to have to get to. Mm -hmm. Um, and then also like building it in like technology for their tech teams, whether okay. it's, you know, automatically get the links to send out to people or analytics data, if they want to get that, um, sending in information like as far as how many messages they sent out so they can get information back as far as like how much user like user buy-in there is and how far mm -hmm. people use how much they use the product um so there's a lot of data there that kind of has to go back and forth yeah so your feature list is long there's yeah. a lot of different things you guys could be focused on and yeah on. so it's it's, so it's really it's, about product right now still, right, right? Yeah. so it's taking it from a a one-off to a hey this is universal any any healthcare facility can sign up with us tomorrow and we think we could have a product rolled out for them in, you know, a couple of days. I'm assuming, a, you know, most hospitals have more of a technology team than most, you know, <laughs> shopping malls or mixed yes. use, you know, real estate centers. There's or a ton of red tape, unfortunately. Yeah. That's one of the hard parts about that industry is everything goes through layers and layers of technology teams. Mm -hmm. Um because there's just so, hey, there's so much technology in hospitals. Mm -hmm. You know, they have these huge enterprise platforms like Epic and MyChart and stuff that are, are massive. And they're so used to dealing with this high security data mm. that when we say, no, we don't collect any information, 
all you have to do is get a URL and send it out with your email messages yeah, or your triggers, text messages. Triggers fear. They're like, well, wait, what are we missing? Why, why, you know, why is that so easy? Why is it so easy? <laughs> and it's like, because we don't ever ask for their username. We don't have passwords. We don't have anything. Like mm. literally the only security we have is for the people who work at the hospital yeah. to log into our web platform to set it up. Yeah. Other than that, there is like zero data that we need. Um, and like I said, that could change over time. We could see eventually, you know, have hospitals say, Hey, we want this automatically integrated with my chart. They should be able to log in and get directions and all this stuff that could happen down the future mm -hmm. or in the future. But right now it's super simple um, yeah. for us. And, and so it's just trying to get them to wrap their head. They're these technology teams that are used to doing weeks of research and investigation to see how secure this third party app that they're going to use is mm. to be like, no, literally we're just going to give you a link and you email it out or text. That's it right. Out. We don't even send it. You do. And the user um, just opens it and it tells exactly. them where to go. It gives exactly. them directions. Yep. Yeah. Every time I've had a, an appointment in a hospital, somebody's given me some attempt to get there. You know, <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, Oh, I'll turn left at the whatever. Right. You know, it's always garbage because it's first it's written in some text and it's buried in a bunch of other stuff that I'm half paying attention to. It's like, yeah. okay, so you need these and it's never and it's never one step it's never go to the elevator go up to three full or three and it'll be down on your right it's normally you know especially the bigger hospitals you know it's go down this hall you know go past the first set of elevators because mm. they don't go to the floor you need to go to mm -hmm. go to the third you know second set of elevators go up those you know then go down this past the, the cafeteria the exactly <laughs> Go past the cafeteria, then go to another cell of elevators that go up two more floors right. and then go down that hall. And, and, and so, yeah, it's. Is this the West escalator? <laughs> Where am I? Am I West? Well, and also, and then also like with big hospitals, you also have normally different parking lots, you yeah, know? Oh, yeah. And so even something as simple as we're trying to get everybody to park. If it's same day surgery, they should park here. Mm -hmm. Or if it's long term, they're going to be here for long term. They should be parking in this parking lot. Yeah. Um. So something as simple as that, where it's, you know, if you just pull up Google Maps and you put in the hospital name, it's just going to take you to the hospital. You don't have any idea where you should park. You don't have any idea like, you know, there, there's a lot of other factors that go into that. So yeah. just trying to make it kind of a one-stop shop. Literally, you get a text message you get from your house to the chair you're actually sitting in the waiting room. In. Yeah. I'm curious about uh, Rove IQ as a the broader organization. Uh, mm -hmm. You talked a little bit about the technology team and what's is the the rest of Rove IQ, I guess, is focused on sales and marketing and yeah. So we have operations, um, right? so we obviously have a CEO, uh, and then we have um, let's see, we have probably four or five uh, dedicated uh, salespeople, okay, uh, outside sales, um, and one of them, is, the the newest one, is actually more towards the Rove DR side. So okay, she cool. specializes in the healthcare industry. So she has a lot of uh, previous relationships with those. Nice. Um, then we have kind of a uh, customer support slash, you know, uh, I would say like more of the hardware side. Um, and that's led by a guy who has a lot of in, um, experience with actually like getting uh, construction like units installed. Mm. Um, because you start putting these big kiosks outdoor, you have to worry about running electrical, running yeah, all your architectural uh, net networking. You have to worry about concrete pads. You have to worry about all this stuff, construction companies, electrical companies. Um, so he has experience with that. And then there's another guy uh, who's underneath him who does, you know, the install, you know, installing the software if they have a problem, being able to log in. And we have a, a kind of a customer success side. 
and they help out with designing like the 3D. So our wayfinding, indoor wayfinding is like a 3D map, helping in design the 3D map, helping mm. get all the customer data into the portal, all the different stores, you know, hours, logos. There's a lot of data that needs to be ingested into our platform mm. in order for them to have a good experience on the kiosk. Mm. Um, and then we have like some customer success people. I was thinking about the... Your implementations actually, um, mm-hmm. and and about the work that would be necessary to configure all the different spaces and the turns and everything else. Do you guys ever get asked to do a lot of hand holding with like a big install or or setup for? A new yeah, customer? so because our map system is proprietary, we built it ourselves simply mm-hmm. because, like I talked about, there there isn't really a solution for indoor wayfinding. Like right. You can use Google Maps for outdoor, but as soon as you get in, so we pretty quickly realized as we were getting more and more into these indoor spaces or places that don't necessarily have like a physical address, like a big mall area, um, we had to build basically our own wayfinding 3D mapping system. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that is not at currently at a place where like the customers can literally just log in and generate their own. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of handholding there. So we normally end up getting like CAD files okay. for their facility from them. And then we turn those into to our three-dimensional maps. Okay. Um, as far as like routing goes, it's all automated. So when they generate the 3D map, um, we actually draw what we would call routing lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the system's able to auto-calculate the best route there, okay. just like Google Maps does. So oh, if you nice. take a wrong turn, if you're on your phone or whatever, if you get too far off the path, it recalculates and, and, and figures out how to get you there. Okay, so you got some smarts in that, in that system. <laughs> yeah, huh? it, it, it took a while. That was uh, one thing that none of us, when we first started at the company on the development side, we didn't really have experience with. So yeah. that was definitely... Um, Something that we had to, you know, build over time and got better and better over time to, to like just figuring out how to route people. And then, then you throw in like, once again, like things Google Maps doesn't have to worry about multiple floors. Okay. Oh, true. So if you're going from floor one escalators. to floor three, escalators, but well, what happens if the person needs handicap accessibility? Yeah. Okay. Well, you can't take Where's them to the an elevator? escalator. You mm-hmm. have to find the closest stairs that are handicap accessible. So mm-hmm. an elevator. Um, and then also sometimes, okay, well, you have malls that are segmented. So, you know, you have, or, or like, for example, a good example you might probably familiar with is like the Cincinnati airport. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you're, if you walk in, you have to start on street level, but then you have to go down where the trams are. True, yeah. So you're going down a level, but then you have to come back up to the street level again. So you're not just like going one set of stairs. Unless you start to- from the, uh, from the shuttle service right. that, put, that brings you from the parking lot, then you're half a level down. Right. And you have to go up a ramp area. Right? So so it's not always just one trans- floor transition. Sometimes it's multiple floor transitions. Something weird. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you get some weird stuff that, you know, things like if you're just doing Google Maps, mm-hmm. building one to building two, it's not something it's you have to think for. about. Yeah, so you have true. to think on, on a three-dimensional plane, not a two-dimensional plane. What are you most concerned about or what what is the leadership, you know, the rest of the leadership team most concerned about uh, with regard to Rove IQ and your success, your goals over the next couple of years? What's, what's yeah. the big challenges you guys are, are facing? So I think one of the areas that we, we, we've been emphasizing because we realize is, is simply just trying to hit other markets and other verticals. Hmm. Um, there's only so many, you know, big outdoor indoor mall type facilities. I mean, mm-hmm. normally you have a couple in big metropolitan areas. 
Um, but eventually you're, you're that market, you know, you can only get so much market saturation in that. And then okay. your, your company is going to kind of just level off. So that's where we've been trying to find other verticals, whether it be healthcare or universities or sports facilities, um, stuff like that, trying to mm. make sure that we're not pigeonholed into a specific vertical that mm. we can continue to grow. And, and so sometimes that's, you know, just contacting new people. But sometimes that's, hey, we need to completely modify our product mm. um, and offer something different. Because if we, um, for example, we're, we're getting into more and more back into municipalities where, as with a mall, you know, you might have, they might have 200 stores they have to put into our web portal. And that's not an easy task necessarily. It might take a couple hours. And we do have like import options where you can import Excel documents or st different things. But... Now, let's say, you know, the city of Cincinnati wants to put these in downtown Cincinnati and they want to have every single restaurant, every single store in Cincinnati. Mm. Okay, well, now you're That's talking about tens of thousands of pieces of data. Nobody's going to manually put that in. Mm. So working with third party APIs to try to pull in location data and possibly like reviews and different things for restaurants so that people not possibly even eventually maybe like reserving a table you know, mm. uh, on the kiosk itself, um, different things like that. Um, so we kind of have to constantly, as we're approaching new verticals, also figure out what do we have to change about our software to make it still work. Have you given any thought to uh, expanding internationally or outside the U.S.? Um, Canada, even some some easy targets or something. Yeah, I believe we have. Um, I, I would have to talk to the salespeople on that. Yeah, how, how from a technology being about perspective, it? I mean, obviously, anytime you start going outside the country, you have to worry about you know intellectual property issues and sure, stuff like that, all kinds possibly. Of um, and also like privacy issues, um, possibly. You know, there's a few things on our kiosk that. Like if you want to take a selfie and have it emailed to you or, or texted to you, you have to put in your phone number, sure. email, like different things that other countries might have different privacy laws. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'm not real in or like in tune in necessarily into the sales process, but I know they have contacted or been contacted by multiple people outside of our country. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we would be willing to do it. It's just a matter of none of the deals so far have really panned yeah. out well for us. I've just, I've taken a couple of trips to Europe and mm -hmm. a couple of the places I've been, that's a time when, as we're talking about wayfinding, that was a time when I was tied to my little map system or whatever we were using um, to figure out our way around and to get to the, you know, the transportation, that kind of thing. And obviously there are resources that exist for that, but not in every facility and not right. in every you know system that you're plugged into. Sometimes there are just big gaps right. when you're traveling. Yeah. And so you're having to pair together these different um, different resources in order to navigate your way around. So it just made me wonder if, you know, if it was, you know, European expansion might be, a, I don't know. That's <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, that's one area where like universities, for example, or mm. even municipalities, we've talked to them like, because if you could, um, you know, what's one of the things that universities do a lot, like tour campuses mm -hmm. uh, or campus tours. Um, 
you know, if you could, instead of having a person like in the recruiting office or whatever, have mm-hmm. to like walk people around, mm-hmm. if you could have like an interactive experience where you go to kiosk one and it has kind of a, a something that you do and you can load, load it up on your phone and then it says, okay, well, here's the directions to kiosk two. We want you to go here next. Here's the buildings you can go mm-hmm. to. You could almost make that like a, a, you know, a non, like you don't have to have any human interaction necessarily mm-hmm. or people could do kind of self tours. Same with like municipalities, you know, you could have like different tours. Mm. Like let's say you want to do a beer crawl in Cincinnati, you know, you don't want people driving. It can be programmed. Yeah. You could do, okay, we want you to go from this kiosk, then then go into this bar, then go to this kiosk. You know, there's a lot of different like things you could do where it's kind of, instead of them necessarily going to one kiosk, possibly multiple on a, on a, on like a journey. A tourist chain event. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of like a self-guided tour type thing um, where it's kind of an, in, in a, a combination of using your phone and like an interactive kiosk. Yeah. As you guys are facing this is kind of a question I always like to ask people toward the end of the conversation. So I'll wrap up with this, but at, um, as you were talking about the challenge of figuring out what new vertical or spaces to apply this wayfan- wayfinding technology to, um, what you're doing to face that challenge. Uh, what, are, what are your plans and what's your approach toward figuring out what other spaces you can get into in order to keep yourself from kind of scaling out. So sometimes there's a lot of inspiration from purely from the customer side where, mm-hmm. you know, you have a customer call up a potential customer and they say, Hey, we're interested in putting this in a, you know, in a university. And you're kind of like, okay, well, we're not really designed for that right now. Like what would the steps be for us to get there? And, mm-hmm. and okay, well, okay. there's already kind of an established customer there because they're reaching out to us and there obviously is a hole in the market because they're trying to find this. And, yeah. you know, we're not even, you know, SEO optimized for that, but somehow they're finding our name mm-hmm. and they're asking us if we do it. So there's, there's obviously some holes in the marketplace there that aren't being served. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of times it's, it's people who contact us um, and are saying, Hey, would you, can you work with this type of scenario? Mm, and we're like, nice. well, we would like to, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, maybe the first time you hear that you kind of ignore it and no, we sorry, we don't do that. Second time you hear it, you know, okay, well maybe we should. Yeah. Maybe Third we should. Time Third like, oh, time, yeah, do this okay, shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it kind of builds. Um, but then also sometimes we're actively, you know, searching it out. We go to a lot of, um, like, big conferences for digital signs and mm, things okay. like that. And so, you know, you kind of look around the market and see where different people are trying to utilize new technology. Mm-hmm. Um, for So, for example, like it's still our Rove IQ product, but a vertical we actually are just recently talking with uh, a lot are zoos. Okay. You know, once again, like another great or like amusement parks, mm. you know, another great option. Like, okay, you walk into Kings Island uh, for example, and I don't know how to get to this ride mm-hmm. and you can't necessarily pull up Google maps and it's going to take you there. So, right. Hey, let's walk up to it. And you know, they normally have pamphlet maps, yeah, but that's about that's it. So poor. Cause exactly. The pamphlet never knows where you are. The board <laughs> that does says you are here. It's not dynamic in any way. Right. Give you any information. So, you know, being able to walk into a zoo and say, Hey, like, okay, we reckon, you know, we, we want to find the tigers and it takes you directly to that exhibit sure. or oh, something like that. So, um, I believe we're actually attending like a, a big zoo conference here soon to reach out to the different zoos around the country to try to get that vertical possibly started. It's fortunate you've got so much interest from the market that new utilization for your product are finding you. 
Yeah, um, that's a absolutely. Great, that's, a great, that's a great problem when you have to kind of sift through those and pick which ones to prioritize. Yeah, it's always easier, much easier in the sales process when you have inbound versus having to cold call every single customer where you can have actually people reaching out to you and saying, hey, you know, is this product going to work for us? True. Um, so that's helpful. True. Well, uh, good luck to you in the build of the next phase of the product. The hospital <laughs> stuff sounds really interesting. So yeah. I'm yeah. Curious we're how we're getting real out. close on that. We, we should have that uh, available here in probably in the next month or two. Um, so. Sweet. Okay, cool. Well, Nate, thanks for being on the show. I appreciate yeah. you, man. All right.